1: Hello everybody, I'm Marcus Speller. Welcome to the Barcelona Legacy podcast. This is the third of a six-part series to coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy, a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. It's written by one of our panellists, Jonathan Wilson, who writes for The Guardian, Sports Illustrated, and World Soccer. And it's out this month in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. We're also joined today by John Bruin, who is a freelance football journalist. So, Jonathan, in this podcast series, we're looking at six matches that define this footballing evolution from Cruyff's Barcelona to Guardiola's Manchester City. This time, we're focusing on Chelsea versus Barcelona in the Champions League last 16 in 2005. Jonathan, why have you chosen this fixture? Well,
2: there's a bit of a leap, I think, from, from the last one we did, which was the uh, you know, 1994 Champions League final. Mm-hmm. So in that period, you have Cruyff Leaves which you know, we talked about a lot last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis van Gaal comes in, is moderately successful, falls out with everybody, as he, <laughs> as he, as <laughs> he does. Um, there's, yeah, they then have uh, uh, an interregnum before he comes back of, of Laurence uh and Charlie Rexack, which doesn't work at all. Mm. Van Gaal coming back was, uh, was disastrous. So Barcelona, at that point, are in a very low ebb. Um, Van Gaal is then sacked, and in comes Frank Reichard, slightly strangely, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And so this is the beginning of, of Reichard laying the foundations for Guardiola at Barcelona. Now, at the same time, Jason Mourinho has been a translator and then an assistant coach for Bobby Robson, who succeeded Johan Cruyff, and then he stays on with Van Gaal. That's his coaching education. That's where his ideas begin to be formed, the low They take a very different route to many people about Barcelona. And he he leaves Barcelona with with Van Gaal, goes away, and this at Chelsea is when he really is beginning to assert himself.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, as you say, it's 11 years since we we spoke last time. And, and John, 11 years is a long time in football. And as, as Jonathan said that, a lot can happen. But this was when, I suppose, the English public certainly really saw... Uh, and you could argue the, the sort of the wider public as well really saw a certain Jose
3: Mourinho coming
1: into the character that we know all
3: too well now. Yeah, I think um, it, Jose Mourinho. Funny enough, I remember the first time I ever heard of Jose Mourinho. Uh, it was an interview with Bobby Robson talking about this protege of his that was a manager of uh, at Porto, and he called him Zay. Like that's a <laughs> nickname that I've never not Is heard. Is that him. short for Zen? You know? I think it's Jose, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Zay. So, you know, so Zay, mm. in, I think that's sort of 2002, 2003, of course, when he uh, won the UEFA Cup with, uh, with Porto, suddenly, uh, you know, w- within the space of two or three years, suddenly became, you know, the self-styled best coach in the world, mm. um, you know, the sharp-dressed man, all the rest of it. But this tie, um, we saw signs of the... Chilled out entertainer, becoming the uh, the, the malevolence that we yeah, know and love for these days. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right, isn't it, Jonathan? That um, obviously you, you write a lot about Jose Marino and have done over the years about almost being this kind of fallen angel figure of Barcelona. But this is where, you know, he was sort of poking his head a little bit above the parapet and, and revealing his true inner thoughts and feelings with regards to where he sits in the Barcelona legacy story. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is the first time he plays against Barcelona, having left them. So he yes. leaves in 2000, and that was actually relatively uh, non-acrimonious, um, that his contract had come to an end, Van Gaal had left. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he, he he, in that season leading up to that summer had been very clear he felt it was time for him to, to go it alone and, and become a coach in his own right. He goes to Portugal. I mean, what happened in Portugal is, is actually itself extraordinary. Is it?
1: Absolutely. He, yeah. he,
2: he gets a job as an assistant coach at Benfica. Benfica churned through managers incredibly quickly, so you know he, he pretty much knew he was going to get a chance at the main job there. Does very well, but then there's a presidential election, and the new man coming in doesn't offer him the contract he wants. And there's this great story. He's driving back to Sechibar, you know, his hometown, and he's going over this bridge in a storm and he feels the car being pulled by the wind. And that's the moment at which he thinks, you know, life's short, I've got a I've got to seize my <laughs> opportunity. And he, he walks out. You know, his his last game was beating Sporting 3 this, 0, this great result. But he felt the Benfica board weren't backing him. He steps down level, goes to you know, leiria where he's very, very successful giving the constraints on the club. And on the back of that, gets a job at Porto. And that, you know, the, the malevolence that John speaks of, I I think this game is actually the Probably the worst thing he did, um, but it, it's there at Porto. So, for instance, the semi-final of the UEFA Cup in two thousand and three. So we, you remember the final when mm. they, they beat Celtic, Celtic yeah. in that amazing game in Seville, mm. and one of the one of the best games, one of the greatest atmospheres. Yeah, I, I've I've covered a, a game in, and Martin O'Neill, the Celtic manager, that day was was you know, very annoyed by his. I thought it was time-wasting. Oh, they're some of the players. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, if you've got Boba Bal and your team kicking lumps <laughs> out of people, whether you're really going to take them all high ground, I'm not sure. <laughs> but actually, the semi-final was much worse. They're were a 4 up at home to Lazio and Lucas Castroman, the, the Argentinian, goes to take a throw in. And Mourinho basically knocks the ball away from him to, to, to waste time to stop a quick break. <laughs> and he's banned for the second leg. Uh, and in a trope that will become increasingly familiar, <laughs> he ends up sitting in the stand trying to work out how he can pass messages to, to his players. So he's sitting there in the Olympico in, in Rome. And
1: he didn't he, go in the laundry basket that time. Not not no. the laundry basket okay. this time,
2: but he's sitting there with Andre Vias Boas, who is his assistant mm-hmm. not too far away, giving instructions. And Andre Boas is texting them down to the down to the bench. <laughs> now that's completely in kind of contravention of UEFA's <laughs> regulations. And Mourinho's so proud of this this cleverness that in uh, Louis Lewandowski's uh, biography, which is clearly written with with Mourinho's um, maybe helps too strong a word, but his his support, yeah, you know, the, the text is all there. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just his transcription. There's no sort of shame at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course, you know, um, these sort of slightly underhand tactics uh, become much worse in, in in this game. As he in the first leg, after the first leg, he accuses the referee Anders Frisk of having been uh, been visited at half-time by Frank Rijkaard, the, the boss liner manager. And there's no evidence that happened. What did happen was that Rijkaard approached Frisk as if as we left a pitch at half-time, which you see very often. He felt that that um, Damien Duff had been offside in the build-up to the opening goal. Yeah, that, that happens a million times a season. The accusation that he went into the the referee's dressing room, which is completely illegal, that took things to a new level.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and John, it, it, with Mourinho, it's... I think in England we were a little bit unaware of of all these kind of antics. But as Jonathan said, it's all there. His whole time in Portugal, where, where he cleaned up, of course, in, at Porto, winning Champions League, uh, well, UEFA Cup as it was then, and and, and league titles and the uh, Tassa de, de Portugal and so on. But it, but it was all there. You know, we shouldn't have really been surprised had we have sort of scratched the surface of the character of this man.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone was, uh, or too many people thought that you know this was an all round nice guy. Mm. Um, he was already. Th- I mean, actually, just uh, researching for this game uh, two weeks before this, he'd already he'd accused Alex Ferguson of trying to speak to a referee at, at half time. You know that this this was part of the playbook, um, and uh, he'd already set off on his own personal duels <laughs> with Arsene Wenger, with Alex Ferguson. You know that this is a guy who. Won by his own means, and sometimes those means were not (laughs) to the approval of of, of his rivals, and certainly um, winding up the opposition, um, specifically Seville uh, that Jonathan talks about there. I actually watched that game in a pub full of Celtic fans. Now, every time a a Porto player lay on the ground, and there was quite a lot of those... Mm The absolute rage that ensued <laughs> in there was absolutely incredible. Uh, and, and of it, course the, if he knew about that rage, which I'm sure he's well aware of, he absolutely loves it. That's yeah, that's what he thrived on. Yeah. yeah. And Well, I mean uh, he was all
2: very clear that for him, the match begins, the next match begins at the end of the 90 minutes of the previous match. Yeah. His press conference is the start of, is the start of the next match. Yeah. And he's always been very, very, very open about that. Mm. And I think what's really disturbing about the Frisk incident, you could just about say that you know, he was trying to put pressure on referees. and you know, Chelsea, Chelsea do get a, a huge decision in the second leg uh, from Pier, Pierluigi Colina, mm-hmm. from the referee. Uh, the winning goal from John Terry was a clear block from Ricardo Carvalho on, on Victor Vallez Now, I'm pretty sure it was just that Colina, who probably was the the least susceptible to any referee at the time, to, to external pressure. I'm pretty sure he just didn't see it. But you do think, did he half see it and think, oh, I don't want to be another ref who's going against Jose? And you wonder if that pressure did have an impact.
1: Yeah, you'd but, hope, but, not. But, but you'd he, hope not, but you You can't dismiss it completely.
2: But then you know, Frisk gets gets death threats. He talks about he, he won't let his children leave the house. He's, he's so terrified. Frisk, you know, has been struck by a missile um, in a in a Roma game in the Champions League earlier that season. So Frisk's already sort of a little bit vulnerable. And yeah, you know, we remember him as sort of this sort of slightly ridiculous sort of. It's the highlights in his hair. He sort of strutted about. he, you know, he liked being the centre of attention. But he, he was a good referee. And he, you know, because of these death threats, he's forced to retire. This one, too. Yeah, yeah. And Mourinho's ended his career. <laughs> now, you could just about mount an argument that Mourinho's still a young coach. He perhaps doesn't quite realise the dangers of making claims such as that, that he made that the have visited him. But a month later, a month after this game, all this has happened with he's That death threat. He's retired. There's Mourinho on Portuguese TV. He's asked about refereeing decision, and he says, "Well." I can't tell you what I think because I don't want a referee to get death threats.
1: You know, <laughs> I mean, he's yeah, he's
2: making a joke about ending a man's yeah. career. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, no contrition. Yeah, no, no willingness to take responsibility for his actions. And so, you know, from, from my point of view, you know, I, I was I working was for Financial Times at the time, uh, covering Jose in, in his first season. There'd been this sort of, oh, this guy's great. You know, he's funny. He you know, he says things other people don't say. You go to his press conference, you know, you're going to get great material. And we sort of warm to that, you know. He's sort of like you know Richard the Third figure that okay, we know he's a wrong un but at least he's a funny wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And then then he does that, and you sort of think, mm, actually, this is a bit more serious. This and, is. Yeah. And
3: I think that's been the pattern of his career at every club he's been at. Um, I've covered him a lot when he went back to Chelsea the second time. For the first three four months, laugh a minute stuff you know playing up to the playing up to the crowd joking along being very friendly to journalists um plenty of you know great one liners but when the hammer goes down that's when the malevolent side comes out and it is normally in high pressure fixtures like this and you know as the point of this discussion is he's going back against the club which he he feels rejected by perhaps a little bit feels that you know he's got plenty to prove to them Jose Mourinho isn't the type of guy who's going to sort of open his arms and be, be friendly. It's, I want to get one over them. I'll be friendly afterwards, maybe. Yeah, and, and
1: everything he does is very much in his own interest. Uh, but you mentioned a little bit earlier, Jonathan, about the press conferences and the, game starts, the next game starts after the 90 minutes. And of course, going back to the, you know, the, the, the Champions League tie in 2005 between Chelsea and Barcelona, ahead of the first leg in Barcelona he names the whole barcelona starting 11. Oh, it's, it's
2: this incredible trick of kind mm. of yeah this is the team they're going to play.
1: Yeah. And, and he gets it right. And he was right. Yeah. And yeah, the the
2: the the shot's about to do that is incredible, but it's also it's sort of saying that I know this club inside out. There's nothing they can do is going to surprise me. Look how ridiculous and predictable they are. This is what they're going to do. <laughs>
3: So but it's, it's, it's is that not a sort tribute of, to Andre Villas Boas's scouting.
2: <laughs> and I'm sure he, he paid him full credit. Yeah,
3: right, exactly. Well, yeah. I, I'm sure AVB paid himself full credit. For <laughs> I'm it. sure AVB did, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um so it's not just sort of showing off and saying that oh, I know this incredibly well, it's also demeaning Barcelona, it's sort of undermining them. And that I think is a is fine. I think you know, I think that example of of using the press conference to sort of suggest oh, come on, I'm better than this lot, I know what I know exactly what they're gonna do. I don't have a problem with that, mm. and that, that's that's good, Jose.
1: Yeah, but and and, and right, that was uh, Mourinho, where he had the uh, a kind of an air of mystique, of almost sort of wizardry around him when he would do things like that. You know, I think Vitabaya said, yeah, that, that's right, uh, yeah, yeah, when he was in Portugal, he the tactics he gave when he said, you know, did, did he predict that they were had gonna, the referee was going to send one of their players off? Yeah, there off? was a,
2: a game against Benfica uh-huh. um, where. Um, Mourinho, according to Vita Bayer, Mourinho said, look, we know this referee, we know the pressure that the crowd are going to put on him. He will send one of ours off. So when we get a man sent off, this is how we'll play. A nice remark. And he also said, we will take the lead in this is a substitution that Benfica will make. <laughs> and sure enough, that happened. And so, um, you know, his, his level of preparation, his understanding of certain aspects of the psychology of the game was so great that Vita Bayer said, you know, it, was, it felt like he could see the future. It felt as a player that you could trust this guy. Because he, he knows not only what, what he's doing now, but he knows what other people are going to do afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um and you actually you see that again at Chelsea, the the, uh, the first time they played PSG in the Champions League. And John Terry said afterwards that he'd prepared them every conceivable scoreline for the substitutions he would make. And they end up winning that game on away goals with a very late Denver Bar goal. Mm. But Terry afterwards said we weren't really worried because we knew we had a plan for every situation. Yeah. Um so so that yeah, I mean the, the the wizardry, the the sense of something mystical is definitely there, but it's founded in in preparation.
1: Of course, absolutely right, and 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 you can't ignore that because uh, John, because often we, you know, we're all guilty in, in in the media, in the press, and so on, of of just looking at Mourinho in his personal characteristics and so on. But there's an amazing football coach there, lest we forget. I mean, he sometimes. Wants to make himself no. Sometimes, always wants to make himself at the center of attention, and so on and so forth. But when we talk about this thorough preparation and so on, this guy, as as we said, won the Champions League with with, with Porto and so on, won Chelsea their first Premier League title. Is one of the best coaches in the modern era of football.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: I do think we we currently that the way that we look at Marino is slightly through a, a a different lens, because of the way that um, things have maybe gone at Manchester United, because of the way that things went at Chelsea. Um, but yes, it certainly go back to. I mean, I actually think that the finest points of his career are what he did at Porto. Um, w- winning the Champions League with Porto is almost now an, an unachievable thing. It's mm. almost like a Leicester winning the Premier League. Uh, and actually into Milan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- what you have with Jose Mourinho is that ability to be something of the other, a, a rebel working outside the system. Now, Barcelona are the establishment club that he worked at before, but now he's with Chelsea, a club who are owned by a let's say shady russian billionaire <laughs> um, there are there is money coming in and, and a club actually chelsea who will change the face of european football in a, in a, you know in this era of financial fair play and make clubs like barcelona real madrid bayern munich sit up and think hang on that's the way that it, it, they, they, the clubs are being funded in a way that we can't do and if Mourinho fits a club like Chelsea, I think, actually, if his best achievements were at those other clubs, I think Chelsea was the ideal club for him, just mm. of that that sort of rebel instinct that he had at that time. Absolutely. And and you mentioned he's
1: a rebel. Well, he's a rebel with the calls, Jonathan, of course, and that all stems from Barcelona, his time at Barcelona.
2: Yeah, in this sense that he was not fully appreciated there. You know, they called him the translator, and you know, he was more than that, but I think he, he needed to be told he was more than that. So what's fascinating about him, I think particularly this period in 2005, is you see the movement from Barca Jose to modern Jose. Mm. And this is sort of a midpoint. So you know, he's, he's learned under Robson, he's learned under Van Hal, he's learned the style of play that's based on these Cruyffian principles. And as his career goes on, he slowly turns them on, on, on the head. So the whole Cruyff thing, if you have a ball, the opposition can't score. You Just keep the ball and you, you won't lose the game. Mourinho famously... He who has the ball has fear. It's the exact opposite. So there's this sort of, as a paradox, you sort of think of him as being, you know, nothing to do with Cruyff. You see, you you almost think that these principles are so removed from Cruyff, how can they come from the same source? And yet they, he's thinking in the same way. He's just turned them around. It's not like Simeone or not like Klopp, He's come from something totally different, whose conception of the game is different. The conception of the game is the same. He just draws different lessons.
3: So, so what you're saying, Jonathan, it's like a misanthropic interpretation of, Roy values then Yeah, he, he's, 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 he suddenly he's, thought because of the way they rejected me I'm going I'm I'm gonna, to I'm gonna turn it around and I
2: think that fully happens after 2008 when he doesn't yeah. get the job when Guardiola gets the Barca job um, but you, you see his Porto team and they do press hyper pitch I mm. mean of course it's a, it's a different situation a different league it's an easier league yeah. but they do press hyper pitch they do play actually quite attractive football they, yeah, they, they can mix it and they can certainly um, practice the dark arts but they're fundamentally quite a good footballing team to watch. That first Chelsea side is actually quite good to watch. It's got a lot People of People forget that.
1: You know, I mean, and you, you look punch, at the, I mean, until... maybe we should
2: say what actually happens in this this, this tie. So yeah. but, uh Barcelona win the first first game 2 1. Drogba is well, Chelsea take the lead with a, a Belletti goal in the first half. Drogba sent off about ten minutes in the second half. He'd already been booked. A slightly slightly reckless challenge on Victor Valdez, which on another day he might have got away with, but you know, it's not a scandalous decision. He sent off, um, and then uh, Maxi Lopez and, and Samueletto score twice in quick succession to give give Barca a two one win. Back at Sanford Bridge, that first twenty minutes of Sanford Bridge is, I think, the best I've ever seen Chelsea play. I mean, they are absolutely magnificent playing a four four two, and if you think of that, the people in that four four two, it's actually an incredibly attacking side. It's incredibly uh, unjose that they, you know, the midfield. Okay, Makaleli holding but Lampard alongside him obviously pushing forward Joe Cole on the right Damien Duff on the left and then because Strogba's suspended you've got Adega Janssen and Mateo Kesman up front and that first 20 minutes they score three times Joe Cole is absolutely magnificent and it's it's the sort of pace and directness of Joe Cole which may I mean, certainly in, in my head that was not the sort of play he was <laughs> and you, you look back at the highlights of it, you think has Joseph got Joe Cole playing like that? <laughs> and the third goal is such a lovely break. And the, 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 the calmness of... I mean, the, the ball sort of bounces quite awkwardly for Joe Cole, who, who cushions it down for Damien Duff's run. And then this incredibly casual first-time finish. And in that moment, you sort of thought, this is done. this And this is not just done. It's absolutely amazing. They scored three times in eight or nine minutes. And, and they're now 40 up in aggregate. But what then happens... Barca get a penalty for a handball by Palo Ferreira. Ronaldinho scores. Ronaldinho then scores the, the famous goal where yeah. he sort of uses Ricardo Carvalho as a shield and sort of stabs it around Carvalho into yeah. the bottom corner.
1: Toe punch, Jonathan. A, a toe punch. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't so mean it's slow. It's 3-2 on the
2: night. It's uh, 4-4 in aggregate. Barca have, have the lead on away goals. And then Chelsea win it with a John Terry header from a corner where Carvalho blocks off Victor Valdez. And so once again... <laughs> brilliant 20 minutes but it's actually the dark arts that win it uh, but anyway the, you know, the, the point being this is actually a very attacking side he picks it's not, I can't imagine his Manchester United would approach a similar situation a similar game in a similar way mm-hmm. uh, so to play with that pace that sense of adventure um, he hasn't reached curmudgeonly Lee say for later years
1: yeah and it's true John isn't it that, that it was a scintillating performance and sometimes we Think of Mourinho, as, as Jonathan touched on there, as, as being a bit of a boring coach these days. Uh, but they did have um, a bit of the kind of attacking flair, if you like, which we often associate with the likes of Barcelona and so on and so forth in those early days at Chelsea.
3: Yeah, and I, I think Chelsea uh, at that point, um, what what Mourinho had done with that team, he'd bought Paulo Ferrer, Ricardo Cavalho from Porto and then they pretty much started stockpiling talent from other English clubs, uh, Duff, Joe Cole, obviously Frank Lampard who was already at the club, um, and then brought him. I mean, Kesman actually. I'd forgotten that he actually played for Chelsea. Or, yeah, came I, in from PSV and yeah, from the, from well, yes, but I just it just a, a negligible presence. But they they stockpiled strikers. They had a lot of forward yeah. players.
2: Well, it's I mean, it's interesting. They then signed Deco.
3: Yes. So you know
2: they, they they actually take a player from that Barcelona team. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, okay, you've been with Jose at at Porto, but I think that that suggests the. The the sort of similarity that a, a Barcelona player could fit in in Jose's Chelsea.
1: Mm-hmm. But what, so why then? You mentioned, of course, earlier there that his uh sort of the Jose Mourinho we know now was quite, I suppose, shaped in his uh that kind of rebel with a cause attitude was when he was turned down for the Barcelona job. But this was a few years before it. Why then do you think? that Mourinho still had those, that, that, that kind of slight rebellious, slightly anti-Barcelona feeling before he'd been rejected. Because bearing in mind, that was the job he wanted.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's really interesting because I, I think you're right. I think you see the, the, um, the traces of that before the, before the rejection. And I think he just always felt like an outsider, that everybody else he was working with at Barcelona had had a great career as a player and he hadn't. And I think even now that that eats him up. I think that his non-playing career is something that that psychologically weighs heavily on him. And so, you know, in I know we're going to come on to talk about this in a future podcast, but um, the 2010 semi-final when he's into beat Barça, his celebration oh, at the man. end of that, he runs across the pitch with his finger in the air, yeah, like a striker scoring a goal. Yeah, you don't see many managers behaving <laughs> like that. Um. Yeah. You know, he 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 wants to be one of the lads. He wants to be a player, and he never was. So I, I and I can understand you. Know, if you're if you're at Barcelona and Louis Van Gaal, who okay, his playing career was was decent without being great, but it's, you know has done great things with Ajax. You know he's a, he's a star presence. You, you know, the other assistant manager is Ronald Koeman. You're one of the most successful players of all time. One of the greatest ball playing defenders of all time. One of the great goal-scoring defenders, and you look at that team, and you've got people like Pep Guardiola, who is not merely a great player, but is talking about tactics in a incredibly sort of sophisticated way, even at that stage. Um, you can understand why Joseph thinks these, these people aren't listening to me. They they don't trust me. They don't don't believe in me, and I, I think that that sense, you know, the fact he was always the translator, I think that that's... That that uh, irritated him and, and and led to the ill feeling.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think there's two things. I think, I think at this point he probably still did think I could go back to Barcelona. He definitely thought that I could go back to Barcelona and be their manager. Now, what's what's the way that you prove to a club that you can do the job is you beat them. Mm. Now, an, a, another of his ambitions we've known for a long time is managing Manchester United. He used to absolutely love beating Manchester United. Would be quite respectful to the club afterwards but beating Manchester United was a big part of it. And and I think what Jonathan says about uh but being a professional. I think the, the way that Mourinho the players that he's been close to have always been the that the hard the hard professionals. Those ones with natural talent, I think he's always struggled with. The latest example of that might be Anthony Martial at Manchester United, but you've got the, those players like Frank Lampard, a player who okay was born into a football family but maybe not the most talented player. Matarazzi at Inter, you've got those players, the hard professionals. Those are the people I think that Jose Mourinho aspires to be like, and he wants to be a lad like them, you know, Pepe. There's so many players like that that he he wants to be uh, the the hard bitten professional. He doesn't want to be the airy fairy Lino mm. Messi. Well, he spoke, didn't he? He said Drogba was him on the pitch. Did yeah, he absolutely. Not? Yeah, and, and Drogba, there's a guy who you know started his career late. Had to fight his way through. Was is still playing football now for his love of the game, and I think that's Mourinho's sort of enthusiasm. Is the the proper pro? Um, he's someone who wasn't born to be this because he. I think the thing about Mourinho it's always as if anything is, it, it's slightly odd because he is from a footballing family. His dad was a manager and all that. Well, and, and a
2: goalkeeper, de- yeah, a Decent goalkeeper, yeah.
3: And it wasn't as if like he, he, he you know, he, he was a. Uh, he had nothing to do with football. It's slightly twisting his own narrative yeah. a little bit. Well, also about
2: that. his family was very, very affluent. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. Mm. He wasn't. You know, his his first experience of football wasn't a kickabout in in you know in the streets and the slums. It was at, he was taking shots at a servant in his in his great uncle's huge estate. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, they, they lost it under Salazar, but you know, still. I was going to say in... he lost the kickabout. You no, know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I think this is a bit, actually this is a very good point by John because I think you know, what's the opposite of that in managerial terms? who's somebody who hasn't worked worked their way up the hard way, it's Frank Rijkaard. He's looking at Barcelona and going, they have just appointed a great player. Mm. Frank you know ends his playing career, sets up an underwear company, somehow becomes Netherlands national team manager, uh, gets them to the uh, semi-final of year 2000, and, and that's it. So on home soil, they only get to the semi-final. It but was a, a disappointing side. finish for them, yeah. 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 Um, you're losing to Italy in, in, in that semi-final. Uh, he then relegates to Sparta Rotterdam, and he's then about to become coach of the Netherlands Antilles. <laughs> when the Netherlands Antilles gets snubbed for Barcelona.
1: <laughs> Rijkaard's CV is incredible, you know, and, and it's, it is evidence um, to massively back up this Barcelona legacy philosophy kind of thing. Because, as you say, and even from there, he went to Turkey. Uh, I think he got sacked. It's such an anomaly. But, yeah, his, but his what, managerial career is a disaster. But, but, apart from <laughs> winning, winning the Champions <laughs> League
2: and laying the foundations for the great Barcelona we now know. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, absolutely. He was the precursor to Pep Guardiola because they they played beautiful football. It, it's such a strange one.
2: And yeah. he reestablished that that, that Dutch Cruyffian influence. There have a, they've been a drift away under Sarah Ferrer, and Raksak, and, mm-hmm. and he, he he reestablished that specifically by bringing Edgar Davids t- midway through that mm-hmm. season on loan. Um, and you know Xavi, for instance, says that, you know playing alongside Davids for you know, well, I think it's something like sixteen games that Davids played there. I mean, in in the sort of high teens anyway. And Xavi said, you know, that that was actually the the most important moment of his career. And he, you know Xavi's phrase was Davids taught me how to die for this cause. So the idea of the, of Cruyfinism as this as this yeah you know, cause to die for, um, you know, it's it's Reichard who who establishes that. Mm. And but I think particularly in the February because um you know, had, had come in the the previous summer, they had a really bad start of the season. There was a lot of talk around Christmas of them getting sacked. Davids comes in, the results pick up, and they actually end up almost winning the league. I think they they lost two of the last three games and if they'd won them they would have won the league. But at that point in February, Barcelona are adrift in the in, in La Liga. So you can understand Mourinho looking at Barcelona going, what on earth is this club doing? Just appointing one of their philosophers or one of one of the pupils of their philosophers. Rather than turn to somebody like me, he's just won the Champions League with Porto.
1: Mm. But what an appointment it was, John! Because as we say there, Rijkaard got that side playing beautiful stuff, and and without Rijkaard, would Pep Guardiola have been able to to kind of do what he what he went on to do with Barcelona?
3: I mean, the thing is, uh, at this time, Barcelona were the team that you would set at, set aside times to watch on TV because they really were excellent, I mean, especially after Davids joined. That spell from January through to the end of the season, absolutely magnificent. Um, And, uh, yeah, the thing is with Rijkaard, I think the difference between him and what came after with Pep Guardiola, it's the individual... I think it's that uh, uh, Rijkaard relied on individual talents. He had Ronaldinho pretty much approaching his apex, uh, obviously Deco, players like that. What happened was those players went stale, Guardiola came in and then it was far more systemic and then of course I mean the following season actually when Chelsea played at uh, Barcelona again there was this guy called Lionel Messi played on the right <laughs> wing and so that obviously changed things quite a lot um, but what you've got uh, between the difference between Rijkaard uh, I, I, I suspect that Rijkaard is not as adept a coach as uh, Pep Guardiola or as dedicated <laughs> to it Um and it was. It seems like a happy accident, doesn't it? Yeah, but, absolutely. And, and but you, you've got a club that was actually reforming at the time. haven't you? Laporta was switching things around. There's remember the documentary at the time BBC showed it was one of the, you know, uh, it, which just showed that the club was modernising, was working out how to change itself around, and you know sometimes it can happen for coaches. Um, and at this point, you, other clubs would have thought Rangard would be a great manager, but by the time it fell apart at Barcelona. Very few people yeah. would have looked. And of it. course, the
2: other thing you, you see the hand of Cruyff in the background. Yes. That um, you know, Laporta would replace Gaspar as president in the summer of 2004. Yeah. But who's actually pulling the strings? It's Cruyff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rycott doesn't get that job because Laporta thinks he'd be a great coach like I get a job because Cruyff thinks he'll be a great
3: coach well mm-hmm. Cruyff clearly thinks he can coach through Rancard well quite yeah yes. he'll be a great mouthpiece rather yeah. Yeah. than a great yeah.
1: coach perhaps <laughs> and I think that's a good point to end it on there gentlemen um, thank you very much indeed uh, John Brown, and of course Jonathan Wilson uh, that was the third of a six part series to coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. Uh, As I say, one more thank you to uh, Jonathan Wilson, of course, the uh, the author of the book, and uh, John Bruin, freelance football journalist. Thank you, gentlemen, and we'll see you next time.